the Mac Observer's Mac Geek app number 417 for Sunday, September 16th, 2012. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek app. The show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, you send in some cool stuff found. We provide some answers as well as some tips and cool stuff found of our own. And together, the goal is for all of us to learn something new, many things new, each and every week that we get together here from Durham, New Hampshire, here in the uh, well-lit TMO Towers East. I'm Dave Hamilton. (laughs) Uh, what's going? Can you hear this chaos here? I can, right. I can John. But do you, you have you, Are you recording for a live studio audience or something? <laughs> I think I have one. So here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Brown. But this is the the fir- probably the first time. So so I I have wonderful neighbors, and apparently one of my neighbors is having some sort of youth group uh, gathering here on a Sunday evening, and it's right now nine Eastern here, and and there are howls of. And shrieks of I don't know what it is because I'm I'm not a I'm not them right but, right but it sounds like <laughs> I joy know. I hope it's joy uh, I I didn't see any bloodshed and uh, yeah it sounds like <laughs> it, it sounds like yeah it sounds like everybody's having a good time they you know dug a hole in the in the yard and there's a fire and oh, uh, awesome. a movie's going and uh, dude yeah, so I'm surprised you I, I'm surprised you had I am honored that you had the dedication to do the show when you could be next door uh, enjoying the fire pit and the uh, and the movie with all the 12 year olds <laughs> really not my crowd yeah. oh well all right then good then we're oh, doing the show. you know though maybe after we're done if they're still you know at it i, I may recruit some new mac geek app listeners ah there you go right right Always i would guess the- at least one or more of them i mean you you know the, the cool kids these days have apple products right i like, think so i think I think so. So uh, I do want to say hi to all of our uh, people in the chat room. We've got a record crowd in there tonight. I don't, can't even count off the top of my head how many people we've got in the chat room in the stream. com slash stream. And, uh, you know, John, it's been a it, it's been another crazy week for me. Part partially. Well, entirely my own uh, problem and my own fault. But uh, but I did a round trip, a two day round trip to San Francisco on uh on Tuesday, I came back Wednesday, and if memory serves, it was a blur. But uh, if memory serves, I attended the Apple event in the uh, in the middle there on Wednesday morning, and uh, which I'm sure you've all ah the the twelve slash five event, right or uh, something? Yeah, like that. right. Yeah, the iPhone five event, right? But yeah, that's right. The one with the invite that said twelve and five and all that stuff. That's right. But um, but uh, and then I got to have some hands on time. With the uh, the three new devices um, after the event, actually four new devices if you count the earbuds. In fact, they sent us with a set of those. Really? Home? Yeah. Wow. You know, if you did that sort of thing, Dave, I I, I would think you should probably record that sort of thing and maybe publicize it. Would Pu- that be cool? Publicize the uh, the event? Oh, oh no, your your experience. Uh, I, I I thought that's what you were getting at. Oh well, yeah. So so uh, you know, I, I figured I'd I, I you know since I've had the opportunity to hold these things. I figured I'd just run through that uh, quickly here. But 
I, I will say, and I've got an iPhone five on order because I have that kind of problem. Uh, but uh, the, <laughs> the iPhone five, it'll be here Friday, just like it's supposed to be. Um, the iPhone five, it, it actually, of course, it is taller, right? The screen is taller and the device is taller, very slightly taller, but uh, but it is taller, but it feels lighter. It fe- it actually, I should say, it feels smaller in my hand. And I think by definition, it is smaller, right? Because it's less mass in total. But, um, but it, you know, comparing the two, it's, it's, it's lighter, um, same width, uh, thinner, and then, of course, a little bit taller. But, uh, you know, I, I turned it on and I started messing around with it. And, and that was fine. And, uh, and then... I, you know, I, I saw that there's another row of apps, right? There's five rows of apps on, on the, uh, on the home screens. And it's like, okay, that's fine. I mean, I noticed that, but it did, I didn't really care. Navigation around it was the same because it's the same width, which is great because, you know, you can still move around with your thumb. They didn't make it wider. So you forced to, you know, really stretch or anything. Very, very, very comfortable in the hand, more comfortable than the iPhone four. Cause the glass back on the iPhone four kind of feels sort of slippery. Uh, and the 4s but but this one has the uh, the aluminum back so it's uh i liked it and uh but i you know i was like well the screen that's nice i'm sure it's good that it's bigger and then i launched safari and you know here's the thing when you when you're in safari on your ios device the top of it you know there's there's x number of pixels that are taken up by the you know, the carrier bar with the time and then the the top of the Safari thing with the URL bar and the search. And then at the bottom, there's a certain number of pixels that are taken up by all your little navigation. And then your web page fits in the middle of those. Well, with the new iPhone screen being taller, all the extra pixels go in the middle. So it's almost like you've got 25% more room. It's, I mean, it probably is 25% more room. And, uh, Man, I mean, it was like a whole new window to the web opened up for me. It, it was. And now and I only spent like I mean, I messed around on the iPod Touch, which has the same screen, too. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe grand sum total. I spent four minutes browsing the web on this thing. I mean, it's just not that much to do. And there were other people and I didn't want to hog the thing. But uh, but ever since then, my iPhone four has felt too small when I'm browsing the web. It's just it's felt tight and, and cramped and, and all of that. So I'm uh, I'm eager to get this this five on mm-hmm. on, uh, on Friday. I really loved the new Nano, though. I You know, John, I don't know what your feelings are on this. The Nano, I think in it, on Apple's campus, the word Nano means experimental iPod that we don't really have another category to fit it in. Right. Because it changes every year or two. The thing is radically different. It's not like they iterate on it and it changes a little bit like, you know, like the iPhone or even the iPod touch. The nano is a completely new device every time they roll one out. And I love that. I think that's cool. I think they give it to the interns. Like, all right, kid, here's her project. Sure. Seriously. I mean, it was rectangular, then it was square, and then right. it was this, and then it was that. And it's like, what? Well, where, you know, it's got a radio, it's got, you know, <laughs> yeah. Nike stuff. I mean, it's got all sorts of kind of, yeah, let's put that in there. Let's see what happens. Just see what happens. No, I'm kind of, you know, I never thought about it, but the thing is, I have a number of them. And, and yeah, every one of them seems to take a little, you know, right or left uh, turn there. And it's like, no, let's add this unexpected thing and kind of 
Yeah. Which, you know, actually from, you know, the Apple, you know, just what Apple does thing. It's like, well, that's cool. All right. So you, you're, you're innovating. You're coming up with what you hope is a feature that people will like. And right. then you toss it into the next nano. Yep. No, I, <laughs> so I, I, I never thought of it that way. But no, I, I, I like the way you presented that. Is that, yeah, it's kind of their, their uh, playground. It's their, I totally <laughs> their playground. Now, this new one. I really like the way it feels in my hand. And I've got I've got fairly big hands. I don't have thick hands, but, you know, I've got long fingers, uh, but it, it really fit nicely in my in my hand. And. Uh, but it feels it's not running iOS. I, I need to state that it's not running iOS as we know it. I'm almost certain that it's running some scaled down version of iOS, but but it feels like an iOS device. In fact, it even looks like one. It's got a little home button. You know, where we're used to the home button being, it's got the little shutoff button where we're used to the shutoff button being. It's got the volume controls again, where we're used to having those. It's very much like the, you know, the iPad, iPhone, uh, sorry, iPod touch junior kind of thing. Uh, but it's got that nano interface where you're just swiping around. Obviously, you can't install apps on it that we know of. Um, and I don't think we can. You know, I don't think that'll happen. But uh but it's a it's a very comfortable device. I watched a, a little bit of the Lorax on it because they had that preloaded onto the one I was messing with and video looked clear. It was actually fantastic. You could you could totally sit on an airplane and watch a movie on this thing. You probably wouldn't because, you know, I certainly wouldn't because I've got an iPad now. But uh, but you could. But certainly, you know, on the back of a bus or or even in the front of a bus um, or on a subway car in any of the seats, front or back or middle, uh, you could watch, you know, I, and that's where I imagine people are going to wind up watching video or kids, you know, on car rides or whatever. It's a good, you know, cheap way to get uh, movies in people's hands. So, uh, I yeah, I, I liked all the stuff. <laughs> and uh, it's very interesting the, the aluminum backs on these things makes a makes such perfect sense. So. It's good. Any any questions on the event or anything like that? I was just going to say, I mean, anything that can prevent people from inter- interacting in you know, a normal social venue right. is good to me. That's right. Just kidding. I will say that the new headphones, the, the ear, the ear. Oh, yeah. So, ear pods. Right. So, so now they, they've reclassified them or. or well, they're new and they're definitely different from the old ones uh, in in a good way. I think I, you know, I, I got them. They handed them to us as we were walking out. And uh, and so I put them in my bag. I kind of looked at it, whatever. I put it in my bag and then went into the hands on room. And then I packed up and I went to the airport because my flight was not that long after I got out of there and, you know, uploaded some pictures and then I was done. And uh, so I got on the plane and, you know, we got up to 10,000 feet and I thought, perfect time to take these things out. So I take them out and I start opening them. You know, the guy next to me is like, Whoa, what are those? He's like, are those, those new headphones they announced today? I'm like, yeah, man. And, uh, and so I, you know, opened up the box and I put them in really comfortable in the ear. Now I have to state, I expected to hate these things out of the gate because I'm, uh, I'm an in-ear headphone freak. I, I wear custom fitted earphones. I probably have eight sets of custom fitted earphones that I all use for different purposes. I'm using West tones right now, but they're custom fitted for my ears. They seal out everything. I'm very, very used to that. So headphones that don't seal always feel too loose to me and they don't sound good to me, um, especially on an airplane. And that was very true for me when, uh, when I turned these things on, I couldn't hear any low end, 
uh, you know, the noise of the plane drowned these things out. All I heard was like, you know, real sparkly kind of crinkly high end stuff. I'm like, ah, well, whatever. So I rolled them back up and put them away. And I watched my movie with my other future Sonics earphones that I used. And then the next day I thought, well, I should try them again in the office. And I was totally, totally blown away. Um, really good low end sound round, full low end, good high end. It had a little too much high end for my taste, like probably in that like six to 12 range. It was a little growly, but, but that's a personal preference thing. Um, I found that I was, you know, once I put them in and I kind of got a tune going that I knew I totally lost myself in the music, which I think that's a good testimony to the fact that these things, they, they sound good. I shook my head all over the place. Uh, violently even to try and get these things to fall out because the other ones would fall out. Like when you, you know, look the wrong direction or open your mouth the wrong way. These would not, these stayed in really, really nicely. Uh, I, I, I really liked them. I, I mean, listen, will I use them? No, because I have all these other things and I'm a, I'm an audio freak, but these are better than good enough. And it's nice to see Apple, including, Decent earphones with the world's most popular music players. Finally, you know, these are enough that most people probably will be very happy with them unless they have specific needs. If you spend a lot of time on airplanes, I talked to John Gruber about it. Um, he actually emailed me from the plane and said, you know what, dude, I'm actually hearing it fine. Now, I don't know if, you know how close he was to the engines or anything at that point in time. Uh, but but, you know, they might work for you on the plane. They didn't work for me, but that's OK. So, um so, you know, but it's good. It's way better than what we came from. So, so it's good. And it's 30 bucks, you know, or freed if, you know, included with new devices, but 30 bucks um, if you just want to buy them out of the gate. So is it time to, uh, to move on here, John? Yes. All right. You know what I want to do? I do want to talk about our first sponsor, which is Barebones. Barebones.com, the makers of BB Edit. They've been making BB Edit for more than 20 years. BB Edit is a fantastic text editor for the Mac. Uh, obviously, like I said, they've been making it forever. Brilliantly executed, really simple. It's smart enough to know what language you're typing in. Programming language, that is. And it will color code what you see on your screen. It doesn't change the files on disk. The files on disk just stay regular text files, but they color code it so that, and, and they add formatting options so that when you've got code up there, functions are set off a little bit differently. It matches parentheses, which is really important when you're doing programming. You can actually double tap on one, uh, an open or a closed parenthesis, and it'll match the other one so that you know where you're, you're tied up to. And that's really important when you're programming. You don't have to be like a totally geeky programmer to love this thing. Uh, you can use it with if you're just if you have your own website and you're doing some HTML stuff, even real simple HTML. It's got some uh, drop down menus that allow you to create uh, HTML tags right there in inside BB edit. It's got an interface with an FTP server. Uh, or, so you can open files over FTP and they act just like they're local on your disk which is great because if you, let's say you have a dream host account or something and you want to edit some files there, you go in and you set up your dream host FTP server that they give you. And then you go in to BB edit and you say, I want to connect to this FTP server. 
and you open a file and you make an edit and you hit command S for save, just like you would if it was saved to your local disk. But instead in the background, BB edit blasts it off to your FTP server and then you just load it. So you can do this kind of real time editing. Very, very cool stuff. I use it to do word counts. I use it to do sorts of text. So if I need, if I have a group of text that I need to sort, I can put it in there, sort it up and you're good to go. Uh, it works in mountain lion and, uh, and you can go to barebones.com and get a free trial. Uh, and when you're ready to buy 49 bucks, either at barebones.com or in the Mac app store. So check it out. BB edit from barebones.com. Now, John, I think it's time for Terry. Don't you? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Terry writes, uh, I'm having some hideous issues with my magic mouse on my retina MacBook pro. This is exacerbated by having two external monitors for a total of three. And then he sent us a picture of his workstation setup, which I, I actually want to publish on TMO. It's but and this is relevant. I think to the question, it's this beautiful. I mean, it almost looks like it was carved out of a tree. Uh, it's this multi-layer thing, but it's all wood and it's shellacked really nicely. And he's got like different layers with this printer on the bottom. It, it, it's, it looks like a tree in his house. It's beautiful. It's cool. I mean, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but I thought it was cool. Um, so he's got his two monitors, his MacBook pro and, uh, and then he says in system preferences, mouse settings, I've got my mouse tracking set to full speed tracking, regardless of whether the external monitors, one or both are connected. The mouse is incredibly laggy. And as, as an example, if the pointer is on the extreme left edge of the MacBook Pro, I move the mouse a full wrist pivot and the pointer has moved maybe a third, maybe a half of the screen width. I pick up and reposition the mouse repeatedly to get the desired location. Of course, with two screens now, I'm swiping and swiping and swiping and have to use my whole arm. Do you have any suggestions to help? All right. Um, so. I think there's two things to look at with the mouse here, John. Uh, it's either bad hardware. I mean, it's possible that the mouse is shot, but I've also seen it. Right, All of these mice, they don't have balls anymore. There's no roller ball uh, rolling across your desk like it used to be. And that's a good thing because it picks up dirt and you got to clean it all the time. It's a big mess. But with certain desk surfaces, you, you still need a mouse pad because the mouse is reflecting a, a, a light off of the uh, off of the surface of your desk. And it's entirely possible that the mouse just cannot track on the surface of your desk. So you might need a mouse pad. And the way you can try it is even just put a piece of like a magazine down or newspaper or something just to be different than the surface, your, surface of your desk. And I, I've totally seen that. And uh so my guess is that's what it is. And if it's not that, then maybe it is, you know, a bad mouse. But try that first. Any thoughts, John, before we uh, move on to. Oh, Trevor? boy. I thought, these, so I thought one, these first five or six were going to be quick ones, but uh, but go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, no. they well, never are. So what occurs to me is, yes, I agree with you, is that the the, the current mouse technology typically uses a camera. And so what it does is it takes a picture of whatever surfaces is under the mouse and then takes another one and says, Hey, what's the difference? And as I think you pointed out, Dave, with most surfaces that this is something that, that helps you determine, have I moved from here to here? Right. Cause they're taking pictures really quick. So think about 
Well, yeah, that's basically what they're doing. They're taking lots of pictures very quickly. And if you look at two pictures, you can tell using computer magic or algorithms or physics or or magic, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) You can say, oh, I'm moving in this direction now. That's cool. But if you're on a surface where there is little or no texture, like here's one uh, for those uh, people that have uh, optical mice, which is probably most of you versus ball mice, uh, put it on a mirror. Oh, yeah. Have some fun. Or anything, uh, typically I think a lot of surfaces where where the top of the surface is a very reflective glass, either a mirror or, or, or just some sort of glass, some optical mice, uh, some, uh, and I've, I've actually played around with this, but some optical mice are smart enough to, to even figure that out. But I think what you said, Dave, uh, makes sense. I think you were suggesting that, all right, if it's not working on the surface that you're on, um, put something underneath it, the 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 more texture, the better. So a piece of even a piece of paper, if you look at a piece of paper under a microscope, there's so much happening there to these cameras and the mice that, yeah, it, it can tell which direction it's going. But if you have something like a, a, a sheet of glass, there's really not a heck of a lot there for you to say, which direction am I moving? So the other thing occurs to me, Dave, with the magic mouse is, of course, you always have. And, and looking at the, uh, the setup here, I, I just clicked on it now. Um I see potentially one, two, three, four, five, six, there are lots of things here. The thing is, is that the Magic Mouse, like a lot of Apple wireless input devices, is using Bluetooth. What is Bluetooth? Bluetooth is RF. What does RF do? Well, RF tries to battle with all the other things that are near your computer and try to get things done. But if there's uh, emissions from something which, and I see here, so I see he has a speaker. There's some mystery, mystery device there. There's a candle. There's a, uh, I see so many things there uh, up. I see a wireless phone. Okay. Right. Do you see that? Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. And a few other things. And then I see a, a bunch of wall warts in, in the wall here. I see, I see a, maybe a strip. So Anything that's plugged into the wall or has a battery or a power source has the potential to generate RF. And uh, it, it still kind of aggravates me that Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, uh, certain flavors of it, and other things like wireless phones all occupy this 2.4 gigahertz range. I guess the advantage is that it's unlicensed or, or I guess it's, it's less of a headache for people to put things there because it doesn't require as much paperwork to, to get licensed and all that stuff from the FCC or other regulatory agencies. But the thing is, everybody's on this frequency, including uh, the, the mouse. So my guess, Dave, would be that that may be what's happening. That could be. Yeah. And that it's interference. And so communication is not totally lost, but there's enough stuff happening that it's doing its best. And the result is, uh, reduced uh, the response time. Yeah. Or lag. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It could be any of those things. So, you know, to test that, take the, the MacBook Pro and go somewhere else with it where you're further away from all of these other sources of RF. And, uh, you know, if, if the mouse pad concept doesn't work. So cool. All right. You ready to move on to Trevor here, John? Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> Guess what? You know, I got it in front of me. I know. Uh, are you amazed? Here. All right. So here we go from Trevor. Yeah, I'm I'm getting in the groove here. Hello, John, Dave, and occasionally Pilot Pete. This is an alert that has been starting to pop up and I can't figure out why. 
And of course, he sent a screenshot. And we're going to tell you where to send all these things shortly. But right now, um, he has a 13-inch MacBook Pro. Well, tell uh, him what the alert running. says, since you told him that there was an alert. Oh, well, the alert says, and it comes up with a eight-sided red thing, like a stop sign, and an exclamation point saying, because a USB device was drawing too much power from your computer, one or more of your USB devices have been disabled in, in the bold text. And then it says, to prevent damaging your computer... Well, that's getting kind of carried away, but yeah. uh, the USB device drawing too much power has been disabled. Other devices may have also been disabled. When you disconnect the device drawing too much power, your other devices will be enabled again. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> so, but this actually led me to an interesting thing, Dave. So the thing is, every USB device... So you have two types of USB devices. One that you plug things into and the devices that you plug into them. Fair enough. And the devices that you plug into are hubs, typically. Yeah. And yeah. in fact, even the ports on the side of your keyboard are treated as hubs. Right. Or hubs are just a, a USB uh, plug. Uh, let's call it that. But the, the, usually they're called hubs. And the thing is, every hub has a, a power requirement. And, and in this case... Uh, on the Mac, or at least the in general, it's expressed as current because current is an element of power. Power equals current times voltage. So, um, but but USB likes to express the capacity of a USB either bus or hub or device in milliamps. And so here's the thing. So how can I find out, Dave? You may be asking yourself, how can I find out what these values are? on the uh, USB things in my Mac. And here's how you're going to do it. Well, you're going to go to the Apple menu about this Mac would be the quickest way. And then more info. And you will see then a little button saying system report or system info or system profiler. It's been called many things in the past. And then you look at the hardware section of this and then you look at USB and what it's going to do is list all of the USB buses and hubs in your computer. Now, when you click on one of these and some of them are, well, actually all of them. Well, it depends on, on what device you're talking about, whether a Mac mini or a MacBook Pro, a portable or a desktop. But it will always list the device. And when you click on it, at least in the in the in the case of hubs or buses, one figure it will list is current available. And that is the amount of current, and that's measured in milliamps. And a common value is usually 500 milliamps. Now, the thing is also, if you have a device plugged into the computer, it will also report how much current it needs in milliamps. So here's the good part. So if you're having problems with devices fighting with hubs, or poor, uh, whether it be in the keyboard or computer, or your desktop computer, whatever, to try to track this down, get the list of the power, uh, uh, how much power a hub or bus can provide, and then get the list of what your devices need. And this is when the thing kicks in. If a device comes and says, hey, I need more than is available, uh, and, and the computer, for the most part of the OS, trusts the device, then <laughs> sure, if it needs more than, than is available, it's going to give you a message like this saying, sorry. Now, maybe it actually, you know, I was kind of, uh, I thought that was kind of neat here is that it seems that the the OS tries to make a smart decision here saying, oh, okay, well, 
you know, because something else is kind of causing problems. Maybe I can let this device do something temporarily and then get rid of it later. Or if you do a restart or something like that, it sounds like there's a little intelligence here, but uh, my advice when getting this message is try to plug. So, so number one, do what I suggested is try to get the, get the list of how much current in milliamps, again, milliamps, milliamps, <laughs> how much each can provide and then how much as long as you can plug your device into something, it should report how much it needs and then, you know, create yourself a chart here. And it could be. Now, the thing that I ran across, Dave, and this was unusual, so I, I decided to plug my iPhone in. Okay. And it came up with an extra setting. So, yes, we're getting to the end of this here, but then this is a, an extra topic, is that I plugged in my iPhone, and it listed not only current available and current required, but extra operating current. Oh, interesting. Is that to and, charge uh, the battery, maybe? Yes. So, Apple... It looks like so I looked up the setting because I'm like, wait a second. You know, I, I was just looking to kind of wrap the wrap up this issue here, which we need to do to move on. But yes, I plugged in a device <laughs> to get the stats here. And I'm like, wait, what is this extra operating current item that I'm seeing the device list? And apparently Apple cheats a little bit or maybe not cheats, but they make a provision here. Apparently there are some devices which can request. And as you, you, you sense, Dave, I, I think the iPad is the the largest offender here is that a, a device it sounds like it's maybe an apple thing here is that so number one a port i think can advertise it has extra operating current and a device can also ask for extra operating current it, it can't be guaranteed that it'll get it but if it can like for example i i know a lot of thing and, and you're an ipad type of guy is i guess well, one of the problems with the ipad is that not all chargers or USB ports or whatever port you're plugging it into are necessarily equipped to service it to its full uh, needs. Yes. Right. Well, it, yeah, it depends if you've got a yeah five volt or 10 volt uh, charger, it, it'll, it'll charge faster with one than it will with the other. That's right. Yeah. All right. I guess we move on to Alan, right? Okay. <laughs> right? Are we done? I I think we answered it. Okay. Yes. Cool. All right. Alan, take us away. Hey, John and Dave. Uh, this is from Prattville, Alabama. I uh, just needed a question. Is there any way to lock the volume when I put my iPhone down? What I'm having a problem with is every time I put it in the holder, um, it seems to lose its volume, and uh, and I can't hear it ring after that. So is there any way to lock that down? Here's where you cut me off. All right, Alan. Uh, yeah, so it it's, it's important to understand that the iPhone has context-sensitive volume settings. And what that means is, Let's say you so you just have your iPhone. This is true of the iPod touch as well uh, and the iPad. So you have your iPhone uh, and it's not connected to anything and it's using its own speakers. It will have whatever volume setting you set. And, you you know, you can use the, uh, the, the volume controls to, to set that. As soon as you plug in headphones, it now goes into headphone volume mode. And that has a different level. It's the level that it last was when you plugged headphones in. So if you adjusted your volume, it's going to remember that. And and that's independent of the volume, the speaker volume that you're going to get when you have uh, your headphones unplugged. 
The same is true if you connect it, let's say, to Bluetooth in your car or Bluetooth earphones or whatever. That's going to have a different volume setting that it also remembers. And dock connector devices are going to have independent volume. So my assumption here is that unless there's something that is just wrong with your your device, but assuming everything's operating properly, what's uh, what I believe is going on is you have your volume set to zero when it's in the cradle, when it's in docked mode. So what you need to do is you need to change it when it's in docked mode. That's the only way to do that. Uh, if you pull it out of the dock to change it, it's going to go back to undocked volume. And then, of course, uh, you know, that's not going to help you. So put it in the cradle and then, you know, wake the device up so that it's in interactive mode and uh, and crank up the volume. And that that should do it for you. I think that's going to uh, I think that's going to solve your problem. If it doesn't, uh, I've seen sound problems happen on the iOS on iOS devices before. And sometimes you just need to do a backup restore and and uh and you know start kind of fresh uh brian chaffin actually at tmo just just had one of those issues and it was the only way to solve it but uh but short of that i think i think you're just stuck in context sensitive volume land so so that hopefully that'll do it and now robert 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 has a problem hopefully it's a quick one because we're in the quick oh. ones category here. No, this isn't. A quick oh, we one. are. Right. That's what I thought. <laughs> but maybe I mean, but that was just my, you know, when I put the agenda together, I assumed these were going to be quick. Little did I know, you know, you were going to. Well, we could see that. that this, so let's see what this happens. One's, well, this one could be an onion. <laughs> Everything can go. But basically what we got here is a, a problem with. Uh, oh, let me make sure I got the right one here. Yes. Robert. Mm hmm. Robert has a problem in that he gets a dialogue here. And I think this is the, the gist of the problem here. He gets a dialogue saying the name of your computer, uh, blah, 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 paren 856, close yeah, friend, Rob, is Robert's, already used. Robert's MacBook Pro, paren 856. Right, yeah. The name has been changed to, and it gives it another name. What well, is it's going on here? Yeah, I mean, it gives it another name, but you got to hang on. The dialogue says this. The name of your computer, Robert's MacBook Pro with 856 in parentheses after it, is already in use on the network. The name has been changed to Robert's MacBook Pro with another number, 937 in parentheses next to it. So it's maintaining some part of the name, right, John? But there's this number in parentheses that keeps changing or increasing. Right. Right. And the best I could find here, so this... So where is this name set? Well, this name is set. Uh, last I checked, is that if you go into uh, sharing system preferences, sharing, that's right. And computer name, that's where this name comes up. And normally it's assigned. And I, I believe it has something to do with this whole bonjour technology or zero conf stuff. Or maybe TCP IP. But basically what I found, Dave, so I, I did a little digging and I've Never run into this, but maybe I don't run a large enough network. But the the only thing I could find is searching around here is that this this tends to come up when, and and that's why I think it's not a totally a bonjour thing, but I think it's also a TCP IP thing. Is that sometimes if you have machines that grab a IP address and then resolve part of that to a bonjour thing, like a machine name, if that doesn't get released properly and that uh, 
that's where I'm bouncing between the two here. And and what I saw were suggestions that DHCP, if DHCP, which is TCPIP, TCP IP technology, where a computer comes along and says, hi, I'm a new computer. Can you give me an IP address? It's like, yeah, sure. Here you go. And and you can have this for this amount of time. Sometimes that mechanism gets screwed up yeah, and it, somebody may hold an address uh, when they don't need to or it's it's not available when they need it. And I, I believe in some cases what happens is Bonjour and DHCP get uh, intermingled and confused and the the what happens is that when when you try to assign, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you because Go. because I know the I, I've been through this I know that okay. I know the problem. So well, I was hoping. Yeah yeah yeah. What happens is, uh, it it is a bonjour thing. Apple takes um all Apple devices on a network, but but mainly your your routers. So if you have an Apple router, um, it will when you go to sleep. Your Apple router will remember your device's name. So like if you have an iMac and it's sharing files, uh, when your iMac goes to sleep, all the other Macs on your network magically can still see that your iMac is available to share files. And if you try to connect to it to see its files, the machine will magically wake up and show you its files. Now, this is not your iMac doing this on its own. This is OS 10 on your iMac doing a very cool thing uh, that somebody in the chat room called Sleep Proxy. Uh, I don't know if that's the official name, but I like the name. What it does is when your iMac goes to sleep right before it goes to sleep, it says, hey, uh, are there any Apple routers on the network? And if one says, yeah, I'm here, it says, all right, you handle you act as you as though you're me on the network. Right. And and so. When your iMac's asleep, it's actually not your iMac broadcasting its own address. It's uh, it's the it's the router broadcasting it. And when you try to connect, the router says, hang on one second. And it goes and wakes up the iMac with the wake over Ethernet packet thing and then kind of steps out of the mix and lets your iMac answer the query. That's that's where this stuff starts to happen. It won't happen if you don't have an Apple router on your network, uh, at least from what I found. Hmm. I don't think machines keep it. But what you were talking about is the reason or is the way to solve it. It's DHCP is the problem. If your machine wakes up and starts getting a different address for whatever reason, uh, that can then cause it to appear to your computer like there are two versions of your computer on the network, one with your name. And then it says, well, I, I can't register Bonjour. So I, I got to add I got to change the name. And the way it changes the name is it puts a parentheses with a one or a two or a three or in Robert's case, you know, like an eight hundred and sixty seven because it's happened so many times. So the the way to solve the problem, and I think I think this is where you were heading, John, was was doing uh, setting the IP address, especially if your computer is always on your network, assign it either a static IP address, which you would do um, by static. We mean you, you you pick an IP address and your computer stays with that IP all the time. And you can do this one of two ways. Number one, you could go into network and instead of saying uh, configure IPv4 using DHCP, you can say configure using manually or using DHCP with a manual address. But a better way to do it is to set a static lease for it on your router so that every time your computer connects to the router, it hands it the same IP address. And that, I think, will mitigate this problem. It's certainly what solved it for me here. I had this problem with my iMac in the house, kept getting 
kept getting new addresses. And as soon as I went to static, it just huh. went away there. It kept getting new names. I don't know if it kept getting new addresses, but I, I assume it did. So, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome because that's exactly what I was going to suggest. Yeah. People do. Okay. <laughs> no, it, that's, that's the answer. And that's yeah, it's so good it's a, practice. Uh, yeah. Now it brings up how should it, Yeah. Well, DHCP is trying to do the right thing here. Right. Just, right. It's just two things. A little battle. It's DHCP and Bonjour fighting with each other because yeah. of this proxy thing. It, it's because there are two devices on the network that are broadcasting the same name. I mean, that's, right. that's what's happening. It's just, you know, so that's how it goes. And you know, the other thing, Dave is <laughs> the way to solve most problems. is just turn everything off and on again. Well, your yeah. router, your computers. I mean, just, just shut them all off. <laughs> yeah, but that it, that may or may not solve the problem. I don't know. It might. Well, actually, if Elise is uh, yeah. still outstanding, somebody may insist on, on holding on to it. So. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. All right. Uh, moving on to Carter. And I, and I think uh, I think we've got a link to a, a good primer on setting static uh leases on on your apple router it's pretty straightforward but it's easier to to look at screenshots while you're doing it so i think we've got a good primer on that that we'll put in the show notes for you all and now i'm just looking where we are time wise here all right um you know now i want to i want to talk about our second sponsor here john but this is this is a different this is a different sort of thing the name of the company is bit suites and uh, and one of the founders, Corey Emdick, uh, emailed me about a year ago and he said, uh, he said, you know, I, I want to tell you a story. And he said, I started listening to you and John uh, about uh, five years ago. Uh, I might have the number of years wrong, but he'd been a listener for a very long time. And he said, you know, I uh, I had I didn't have a Mac. Uh, it's, you know, because of your show that I got a Mac. And then once I got a Mac and got into all this, that sort of headed me down the path of learning iOS development. And he says, now I have uh, my own company that does iOS development. It's him and his partner, Tom, uh, his business partner, Tom. And uh, and he says, I, I, I thought that a great way to thank you and John for getting me into this was to start developing a Mac Keycap app for you. And uh, and I'm very happy to announce that today that Mac Geekab app is live in the App Store. Uh, now, there was a lot more development done on it than uh, than what started, you know, about a year ago with Corey on his couch. In fact, I think the whole thing was basically torn apart and started over. Uh, Michael Johnston, who does the show notes. Uh, sorry, not the show notes. You do the show notes, John. Uh, he does the AAC conversion for us. We actually brought him in to do. Uh, all the icons and the graphical elements. And, and really he helped us with um, almost a, in a consulting way and with, with getting the workflow of it down. And, uh, and I'm really happy with it. Um, you know, like anything 1.0, there's more features that we want to add, but, uh, but out of the gate, I'm really, really happy with what this thing does. Now uh, you can find it in the app store. It's three 99. Uh, it does, of course, streaming, of the episodes doesn't have live streaming yet. So, but it will, that's, that's, you know, that's one of those very, very soon kind of things, uh, but it'll let you stream the episodes or download them and play them from the device. Uh, either one works. It allows you while you're playing an episode, you can save a bookmark. 
at any point in any episode. And then you can go back to your bookmarks later and revisit that topic. So, you know, we, we'd always heard from people that said, yeah, you know, I, I was listening in the car and I couldn't remember, but I, there was this one thing I knew I wanted to check out. Well, now you've got a, an easy way. There's a little button. You hit it. It saves a bookmark. You can add some text or not, uh, but it'll save the location for you and you can come back to it later. You can also send feedback to feedback to John and I, John, I did say it. And uh, <laughs> how would you do that, Dave? Uh, that's right. Well, what you would do is so you can do it in general in the app. There's just a link to contact us, but you can also do it while you're playing an episode. And if you do that, it will tag the email that, that gets sent to us with the episode and the timestamp. So John and I know exactly what you were listening to, where you were and the chapter name, right? So if you've got the AAC version, we know exactly where you were and you can send text as you always can, or you can record an audio comment right there inside the app and then send it off at, uh, with, you know, via email to us. So, uh, it'll, uh, it, it, and and I'm, try, I'm just looking at the features because I want to make sure I don't miss anything. We've also got push notifications so we can push out a notification to you when a new episode is in the stream or when a you know live stream kind of thing comes up. But uh, but and we'll and we'll experiment with that, too. So we're really, really stoked about this. Uh, you know, I, like I said, we've been working on it for a very long time. And and the folks at BitSuites, Corey and, and Tom, they have been so great to work with. Then they are a custom app design house. Uh and if you need an app done, these, you know, these are certainly some guys to consider. Definitely reach out and talk to them. They, they, they're so easy to work with and they, they have, it was, you know, it was great. I just send an idea to Corey and he'd say, oh yeah, 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 we can do that. You know, and bam, it was like right there in the app. And, you know, even when I've worked with a lot of designers over the years for programming projects, for websites and, uh, and this year I've had the opportunity to work with really, really good ones. Um, but some designers get a little finicky, you know, you call them up and you say, Hey, uh, I want to change the way we're doing this. And not only did Corey not get finicky about it, he would embrace these changes and he would say, Oh, that's a great idea. Let and then let's change this. And be th- he'd be throwing out, you know, weeks worth of work uh, just to do it the right way. And I think that's that's the most important part is as soon as we realized that we were doing something that we wanted to change, there was no, you know, emotional attachment to the fact that it already worked this other way. It was like, yeah, all right, fine. Throw it out. Let's go. You know, let's do it the right way. Let's make sure we get it right. So uh, so you can check it out. It's in the App Store. Of course, it's Mac Geek Cab. And uh, let us know what you think and let Corey know what you think, too. Uh, they're, uh, they're good folks. So anything to say there, John, about the, the new app? I'm so happy. It's finally out. It's great. <laughs> Can I get a code? Uh, yes, John. I sent you a code for the app. <laughs> you did. Oh, mm-hmm. good. Okay. I'll try. That's it. right. And we, and you know, we, we gave out pre-show, we gave out some codes here in the, uh, in the chat room too. So, and we might give some, you know, we might have one or two left that we can give out uh, post show here in the chat mm-hmm. room. So, so there one are benefits to, to joining the, the, uh, the chat room here. And, uh, and like I said, you know, that's, that's one of, one of the very next features that we want to put in here is the ability to stream the show live on, uh, on Sunday nights. So, or whenever it is we do it, but typically Sunday nights. So 
All right. So thank you, Corey. And thank you, Tom. Uh, and thank you, Michael. It was a fun process, and I look forward to continuing to iterate. All right. Carter writes, I have a question you may be able to give me some guidance on. I have a three and a half inch Western digital bared hard drive, which I connect to my MacBook Pro using a Voyager dock. The drive has performed just fine until today when it refused to mount in the dock. It would show up on my desktop as a recognized drive, but it no longer does. I thought maybe there was something wrong with the dock, so I put a second drive in it. The second drive mounted just fine. I tried mounting the first drive a number of times, but no success. Possibly the first drive is defective and should be discarded, but I don't want to discard it if I can do something to get it to mount again. Is there any software which may help to analyze the drive even though I can't mount it? Do you know of any techniques I could try to get it to mount? Okay, so um, the first thing to do is to see if the computer sees that there is a drive there. So what I would do is connect the Voyager to your Mac, then go into... Uh, that's, it used to be system profiler. Now it's system information. And, uh, that's, you can get there by going to the Apple menu and going to about this Mac and doing more info or the shortcut. Well, there's two shortcuts. One is to hold down the option key and go to the Apple menu. And it's the first option. It changes to system information and that'll launch it. Or you can go to the utilities, uh, applications, utilities, and launch it from there. But then click on, Whatever bus you have connected to your Voyager. So if it's USB connect it, you know, click on USB in the hardware section. If it's FireWire, click on that, whatever, whatever it is, click on that. And take a look and find that Voyager device because you want to see what that thing looks like when nothing's plugged into it. Okay. Then plug your good hard drive in. This is just to give yourself sort of a frame of reference. Plug your good hard drive in, let it mount up, let it do all its stuff. And then... Uh, go to the file menu in system information and choose refresh information. Uh, if you leave it on whatever USB or firewire, it's going to refresh that view and you should see a hard drive appear kind of underneath that Voyager thing that will tell you that the system sees it on a USB level. Understand, just get yourself a frame of reference of what that looks like. Then eject the good drive, put a bad drive in, or what you think is this bad drive and refresh this list. See if the drive shows up as again, just at a hardware level. If it does, then there might be some hope. If it doesn't, then maybe try the drive in another enclosure. But you know, if, if the computer can't see it at the hardware level, uh, there's not a whole lot you can do. I don't think uh, once you see it there, then you can start to to see if you can experiment with it. Disk utility will allow you to try and do repairs or uh, or various things on drives that aren't mounted. So that would be one thing to start with, although disk utility is not the greatest. So you might need something like Drive Genius um, or or even Disk Warrior, although I really have kind of leaned toward Drive Genius as my go to app for the for this kind of stuff. My go to third party app anyway. So that's the. Uh, that's a quick answer there. You got anything to add before we move on to Everett? <laughs> so some of the things I like here. So one would be some you always want to check for with, with the device, especially with this enclosure where you're plugging and unplugging. Look for a bent pin. You know, so get your, uh, and, and I'm serious here. Get yourself maybe one of those. Uh, yeah, I don't know if, if you want to get one of those. If it's a SATA drive, there's no pins. Well, 
there always are pins. So I'm, I'm just suggesting as a general troubleshooting thing, if one drive works and another doesn't, look on the drive itself and just see, just make sure the connectors are yeah. nice and clean and not bent or anything like that. Um, the other thing is that they do have, and I'm, I'm trying to remember uh, our favorite kit here. They do have other kits that hook directly to drives, not just this uh, Voyager thing. Uh, I think newer is the one that, that, that I like to use. And I still have one of these that it, it goes to SATA and, and some of the older interfaces to a USB two connector. And uh, so it's, I think it's always good to have one of those. And I think well, Dave, the, Voy- I, the Voyager is the same thing. It's from newer technology. I, I understand. Okay. I mean, it's the same thing. What it's I'm saying just, is just another, ha- have another connector. Here. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the Voyager, you know, the, the one of the one of the ways to solve problems is keep swapping out things until absolutely <laughs> things work again. Yep. So what I'm just saying here, so so one, yeah, it could be a bent pin on the drive, or it could be uh, some wacky in the Voyager. Who, who the heck knows? Though, yeah. you know, if it's worked before, probably not. Right. But have another, you know, connector as well. I think that's that's all. All I got to toss into that one. All right, cool. Yeah, that Voyager is actually a pretty cool thing. It's it's a essentially a universal drive adapter type of thing, but it's, but it's, it's like a half enclosure. You actually drop the drive down into it. Right. So you could use it. It, to me, it's built for more long-term use than the universal drive adapter, which is just yeah. this thing that, you, you know, you, 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 well, use longer. Yes. Well, longer. I mean, the drive is still exposed, which to me is like, you know, displays the people that you have a little bit of daring. That's right. Yeah, it's like, that's a good ha, time. look, <laughs> that's my say, drive is partially exposed. I, I taunt the gods, or I partially taunt the gods. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right, let's see. All right, we got a quick one from Everett. We can, we can certainly do that. Um, I'm not sure how far we're going to get here in this show, but go, Everett. Hello, John and Dave, and thanks again for doing the show. Thanks, Everett. I have a question about iTunes and the file structure it has. Is there a way to put either a shortcut or a symbolic link instead of the folder that holds my movies and TV shows so that way it's not taking up space on my drive and I can have the shortcut symbolic link point to my time capsule or the drives that it's connected to? Since this is 94 gigs of TV show and about 100 gigs of movies. I was wondering, I definitely want to get that off my drive. Thanks, and please send me back your uh, replies your, and ideas. And hope this will help anyone else who is struggling with disk space. Yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, this is a common thing. And there is. You can do it. I believe you have to do a symbolic link, not a shortcut. Uh, to make this work. So if you're comfortable doing those sorts of things and know that you've got to sort of keep this in the back of your mind while you're managing stuff, yes, you can do that. But uh, there is a piece of software that we've mentioned a couple of times called TuneSpan. Uh, it's in the Mac App Store for 15 bucks, 14.99. And uh, and it does it is built to do exactly what you're looking to do and it manages it for you. Uh, I have not used it uh, because I honestly, it didn't exist when I had to solve this problem originally. So I just went the route of having a big honking drive that I put everything on. Uh, I also don't keep movies in my iTunes folder because we stream to our TiVo and not via Apple TV, at least not currently. Uh, but, uh, but TuneSpan is built for, for doing exactly this. So that's, uh, 
that's actually the method I would I would recommend on this one. So, all right. You think so, huh? I do. Do you have another method? <laughs> Tons. Okay. <laughs> so, and of course, when you launch iTunes, if you hold down. No, uh, no, no. Hang on. It, that's not. But he wants to have his music in one spot. I know where you're going to go, and it's good to tell people about this, but he wants to have his music in one spot and his movies and TV shows in another, but all accessible simultaneously. Ha! Well. But go ahead and tell him about what happens when you launch iTunes with the option key down. Okay. Because this could solve a problem of a smaller scale. Right. <laughs> but yes. So, of course, if you launch iTunes, as with many of the Apple utilities, try it, folks. Don't uh, you can't hurt anything if you do this. But if you launch a lot of the Apple apps and you hold down the alt or option key. So, for example, iTunes, what happens if you hold down the alt or option key when you launch iTunes? It will come up and say, choose iTunes library. And you get not one, not two, but three choices. So one is quit. That's boring. One is choose library, which asks you to identify a library. And then the third one, and this is kind of the cool part. And this is the one where you could develop a very coarsely grained uh, media management uh, strategy here. And it could solve the problem, Dave. Sure. And then you could create two libraries, one with your movies and one with your, your yeah. yeah. So, no, so I no, wasn't that, totally that, in left field here, but, but it's a very, uh, it's very caveman. Right. Uh, but, but yeah. And the third option uh, to finish here. So you get quit, choose library or create library. So you could create a new library and then use that one to manage certain types of content. And then when you want to deal with other types of content, you could then choose the other iTunes library and you could put it wherever you want. So just yeah. saying that yeah. this is the, the, the very the the, the uh, cheapskate built into the Apple app way of very coarsely managing different libraries and that you create different ones on different locations and you hold down the option. But it's certainly not as elegant as what you suggested. So, yeah, yeah. Toonspan is. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. All right. Let's um, let's jump to our tips. Let's do a couple of tips here and uh, and then. And then let's talk about cool stuff found before we wrap things up. Uh, all right, John, not you. In fact, we have a tip from you, uh, but uh, listener John writes. Uh, One of the things I've heard a few times during the show is with regard to the library folder in Lion and now Mountain Lion. The fact that is that no, it is no longer readily visible in your home folder. Holding the option key in the go menu reveals the library in the finder. But for those who would like to make a, it a more permanent solution, I came across this tip. Uh, he says, I think I found it on Tech Radar. He says, in the terminal window, type ch flags space no hidden space home or tilde slash library. And that's it. That's all you got to do. Ch flags space no hidden space and then the path to your library folder. Uh, so for those of you comfortable with the terminal, that little tip will make your library unhidden forever uh, or at least until the next OS update. I'm not sure. Uh, it depends on what the, you know, what the OS updates do, but that's uh thanks, John. That's a good tip. John, did you have something to tell us about the installer log? Uh, huh? Did you, are you, are you ready on that one? <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, good. Okay. But I also have something else to tell you. Cool. The, the other thing I like doing Dave for the library folder is to, uh, navigate to it however you figure out how to do that in the finder and then put it in the sidebar so i actually have both my user and system library folders in my sidebar 
which I find very handy because it tends to migrate from OS upgrade to OS upgrade. So, yes, just thought I toss that out there. Is that uh, the, yeah, once you find that, grab it, put it in the sidebar, and then it it, it shouldn't go away. And if it does, then then. No, I, I do the same thing. I've had mine in the sidebar and it, it persisted through, through the, through the mountain line updates. So yeah, good stuff. Excellent. So that, that thwarts Apple's attempt to hide things from you. Like yeah. The library folder. Well, you know, it's, <laughs> now, I, I don't want to spend too much time editorializing on this uh, because we've got other stuff to do, but I think in general, it's a good thing that they hide it from you softly. Right. I mean, it's not difficult to get there, but you're not going to stumble in there accidentally. And my guess is that was their intention with this. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. And actually, you know, even, uh, you know, some people may know that I'm actually a Windows developer type right. of guy in my my alter ego. <laughs> but um, Windows does that, too. It's like a oh, system. Eh, are you sure you want to go here? Are you sure you want to see what's here? And I actually like the way Windows handles it better rather than just not showing you. It's like, you know, this is I don't know if you're ready for this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas Apple's just like, all right, we, we've decided you're 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 definitely not ready for this. <laughs> Unless you listen to Mac Geek app, we're not going to tell you where this is. <laughs> So the the thing I want to point out, because I recently did an installation per Dave's recommendation to upgrade my machine to um, uh, Lion. Right. Oh, no, yeah. you said not. To do I said not to upgrade. I said to skip that and go to Mountain Lion. But anyway, your your tip is valid. None. Even your tip is valid, even though your decision is not. Well, I, you know, I wanted to go through the same pain that some of our listeners do. And so far, actually, Dave, it's been pretty pretty uneventful and that I haven't had any catastrophes. But the thing I wanted to offer is that when you do run the, the Mac installer while it's installing. And I found this, that this could just fuel uh, days, weeks or months of, of geek joy here now, is you go to the window menu and you say installer log, and then you will get some choices. And one is show all logs. You can watch in real time because typically when the Mac is installing stuff, it's, it's really kind of boring is that if anything, you get a pretty uh, animated menu bar. But if you go to this menu window installer log, it shows you basically coming from the Unix guts, everything that's happening with installs. And actually I found it handy, especially if you think that there may be a problem with your media is that the log will tell you what the heck it's doing. And actually, I had a case where I think I had some bad media because it kept sitting at, it was like processing foreign language, you know, package, whatever, .pkg, and it was sitting there for hours on the same, uh, several minutes on the same file. And I'm like, you know what? I think my media may be damaged. And, and I think as it turns out, it was. So, interesting. Again, slowing. Window installer log, and it's a it's a, it's a play by play is what it's doing at the very lowest level, and it's really quite fascinating, I think, and, and it really will help you understand uh, if you want to. But doesn't everybody? Yeah. <laughs> What's happening when you're installing your OS and what it's doing, what it's replacing, what it's moving around? It's uh, again, I, uh, I I just totally geek out, and 
also it's it's better than just watching the the pretty graphics that's cool i'm gonna do that sleep i'm gonna do that from now on i I, oh and then the final thing i'm sorry is that typically after you finish an install a lot of times i think normally the os will sit there and say all right i'm gonna reboot or or do something if if you don't touch a key or but but what you can also do if you catch it at the right time is you can take this log and save it to your hard drive. And that I think is an excellent postmortem for you to find out if at some point you think there was a problem with your install, it'll tell you, it could tell you, you know, this file was bad. I skipped it or, or or whatever. It goes into a lot of detail and we're, we, we can't certainly couldn't cover it. We, we can have an entire show. (laughs) Right. Oh yeah. Installers doing. Yeah. Ah, very cool. Cool. All right. Uh, Arthur had a, uh, a note about, something we talked about, I believe in four show 416. He says, I was listening to 416. I wanted to comment about the current application window losing focus. I've been seeing this issue since leopard. If I were, and I believe that was Dave's question from last show he says, uh, if I remember correctly, the login window process, all one word login window process will report an error about focus. Uh, I would rec- recommend looking in the system log in the console for error messages to fix this issue. I found that Launching the screensaver or putting the Mac to sleep and then waking it up fixes the issue. So I've been setting up all of my users with a start screensaver hot corner to fix this issue. Uh, and what he means by hot. That's cool. Thank you, Arthur. That's that's uh, that's good. If you want to do a hot corner, I believe. Oh, where is that now in Lion or Mountain Lion? I don't think it's in the desktop and screensaver. Help me on this, John. Is it Mission Control? Mm, no it's not oh yeah it is it is in mission control so you go into system preferences you choose mission control and down in the lower left it says hot corners and you can actually set uh, various different actions to happen when you hit those corners and so one of them is start screensaver and you can have uh, you can have it launch mission control or launch pad there's various things you can do Uh, so go ahead and check that out uh just be aware that anytime you float your mouse into one of these corners, it will do what uh, what what you've told it to do. So what I like to do with my hot corners and here comes the tip on top of the tip is when you pull up that menu, of course, you just select things, but you can hold down modifier keys so you can make it so that, uh, you know, you have to hold down the command key and go into the upper left corner for screensaver to happen. And that will keep that from happening every time you float too far and go to your Apple menu and suddenly your screensaver's up and driving you crazy. Or you can make it your option key or the shift key or all three or I think control uh, as well. So that's uh, that's my tip for hot corners to actually make them useful without getting in your way. So thanks, Arthur. That's good stuff. It's hot. Yeah. Ken has a uh, an anecdote and uh, well, here we go. He says, I wanted to send a quick comment about your advice on the find my Mac option and guest accounts. He says, as you pointed out, the guest account is not needed for find my Mac to work, John. And you you did point that out. Uh, he says, however, disabling it may render the service useless. Here's why. If your Mac is ever lost or stolen, it will not be able to connect to the Internet in order for Find My Mac to work unless the guest user is allowed to log in and connect to a Wi-Fi access point. I believe this is why Apple turns the guest user account on by default with very limited access to Safari only. In John's testing after disabling the guest account, I'm guessing his Mac was located in a place that was already connected to the access point. 
I had this unfortunate experience with my iPad. My first gen Wi-Fi only iPad was lost and I was confident that I could use find my iPhone, which was configured correctly to locate the lost device. My iPad, however, was configured with a password to log in. After many failed attempts to locate the device, it occurred to me that unless someone was able to log in and connect to the Internet, it would not be able to find it. That meant that it would only work if it were present at a location where it had previously established a Wi-Fi connection, such as my home or office. I hope this tip may be useful to any users that may be considering disabling the guest account after enabling Find My Mac. That's actually a really good point. Yeah. So, so it makes sense. Thank you, Ken. I actually think the whole thing's lame now. All right. Because I verified this because I, I wasn't sure. Now, so it, to me, it was, well, do you enable guests? So maybe sneakily in the background, it'll log into guests and log in and, and reveal your location if you ask. Or is it just the, that I think as you suggested, Dave? And the thing is, it wasn't entirely clear to me that this was the case because the way I set up my machines is that I typically don't show choices for logging in. Is that I just show the login uh, box, username and password prompt, which if you don't know that guest is enabled... And actually, I kind of was scratching my head because, you know, I was, I was researching this a bit because I'm like, wait, what's behind this? I mean, what, what what's the deal? Sure. And the deal is if you're at the login prompt and you enable the guest user and you don't give it a password. And when it asks if you set up the computer to not give you a choice of people to log into, you just type guest. It'll log in. Right. And then activate find my Mac. So to me, it. And the thing is, I believe there are uh, some third party pieces of software do not require you to. So, so that's why I said it's kind of lame is that you have to log in e- even an account like guests without a password or that, that you leave your account logged in so that you can locate the machine. Right. To me, it's kind of lame and that I think uh, I'm almost positive there are solutions where you don't need to have a login in order for them to, to find where you are. Well, so, no, I mean, it's actually, better than those, nothing. Those won't work really? if you're using file vault because uh-huh. the machines locked down. So you need that guest. To, if you're using file vault, you really do want that guest account on right. because it's very, very limited. It doesn't even decrypt your drive. It launches the guest account from the recovery partition. So, uh, so your drive is still uh-huh. encrypted, but, but that's why, that's why you need a recovery partition for in order to turn on Find My Mac, right? If you don't have the recovery partition, remember we found that Find My Mac wouldn't turn on. That's why. So, it, you know, if you install third-party software, you know, to go and 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 do the same thing, it won't be running if your Mac is uh, is if your drive is encrypted right. with File Vault. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, all right. A couple of cool stuff founds before we. Uh, before we have to wrap this up, one of them was very, very timely this week. Uh, our friend Barry sent me uh, or sent us uh, a note uh, about a new app that he found. And the app is called Window Seat. It's an iOS app. It works on iPhone or iPad. And the idea is uh, while you're in the air, it would be in, a, in an airplane. It would be cool to know what you're looking at out the window. But uh, but of course, you're not allowed to use GPS devices while in midair. And uh, and unless the pilot tells you where you are, you really have no idea. So, uh, or, you know, on some planes, you get the little map version and JetBlue, I think, let you see that. But, you know, otherwise and, and there's no way to see what points of reference are around. Well, that's what window seats all about. It's pretty cool, too, because 
about an hour before your plane takes off, the pilot has to file a flight plan with the FAA and the flight plan details which um, waypoints the uh, plane is going to kind of check in through throughout the flight and and the path that it's going to take from your, you know, from where you're coming from, where you're going to. And so just before you get on the plane, you find your flight in the in the app and, and you can even do this like while you're sitting on the plane before they've told you to, uh, you know, shut everything down and you pull it in. And it says, okay, let me know when your flight has started. And, and of course you can't have, you gotta, you gotta let it know when you've take, when you've had wheels up. Right. And obviously you're not allowed to have your iOS devices out at that point. So they say, just remember, look at your watch when, you know, wheels up and, uh, and then at 10,000 feet, you launch the app and you tell it, yep, here's when wheels are up. And it just uses the predicted time of your, of your flight in, in the air to, track where you are and it shows you like a little map and what's really cool is if you zoom in on the map it has all these little points of interest and you can tap on them and it'll give you like little you know a little blurb about each little point of interest that you're passing by and uh, and it actually can be really cool it's it's uh, honestly i found it a fun way to pass the time i wasn't even in a window seat so i couldn't really see out uh to look at any of these things but it was uh, it was fun to know, like, oh, hey, we're passing over this. What's this? I didn't you know, I didn't know a lot about Wyoming, um, but uh, but I was able to read about a couple of different landmarks over, you know, while we were passing over Wyoming. And it was just like, hey, that's a cool way to really? spend the time. Yeah. So it works on uh, iPhone or, or iPad. It's and it's not 100 percent accurate because it doesn't actually know where you are. It's just predicting. And they say, look, if the pilot tells you that. You're passing over the Grand Canyon right now. You you can go in and and adjust where you are in the air to you know to to match that. So it's uh <laughs> it's window seat and I'm trying to think that I put the price in. I think it was it was three ninety nine four ninety nine. I will find it here. It's four ninety nine and that that app works on iOS uh, on iPhone and iPad. So yeah, it was fun. I I liked it. Wow. Are you sure Wyoming exists? I've never been there. So Actually, I'm, my daughter's been there. So I'm pretty sure it exists. Yeah. A lot of people go to Jackson Hole, you know. She was probably lying. It's possible. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Ken's got one. Hello, John and Dave. This is Ken from Kailua. I was just listening to uh, uh, Mackie Cab 415, Cool Stuff Found, and realized that there was something that I used a lot that I don't think I've heard mentioned on the show. Uh, and that I'd like to share. If uh, you, like me, uh, like to fool around and really can't stay faithful to one browser, um, you might find uh, that um, uh, a problem is uh, having all of your bookmarks available to you uh, in the browser that you shifted to. So if you've been using Safari for a long time and decide to shift to Chrome or vice versa, or if the Firefox or whatever, it can be a real nuisance as you realize uh, that you've left all your uh, bookmarks behind. Um, a couple of years ago at Macworld, uh, I discovered uh, Bookmaster, uh, spelled B-O-O-K-M-A-C-S-T-E-R from Sheep Systems. Uh, it's not terribly expensive. I think it's about 15 bucks. Uh, it's been a while since I licensed it. Uh, and it is very simple um, in uh, terms of uh, use, a uh, little uh, menu uh, bar item, uh, and um, it uses Dropbox, and it might use other things if, uh, as well, but it uses Dropbox, uh, for, in my case, 
uh, to store uh, the entire uh, file uh, of the bookmarks uh, so that it can be accessed and it automatically updates in the background to any Mac uh, you're using it with. Um, it's a terrific little thing and uh, works exactly as one would hope. Uh, it's not that simple to set up in the first place, but the instructions are uh, very clear and easy to follow uh, so that it turned out a little complicated uh, to be very simple. Anyway, uh, there you go. Uh, share that, uh, I hope. Aloha. Thanks, Ken. And uh, and he did send in a correction. The price is twenty two ninety five, not not fifteen bucks. But uh, but thank you for that. And uh, and lastly, but not leastly, Robert sends in a cool stuff found. He says mail notifications in Mountain Lion is useful, but it doesn't show any body text of an email. Herald is an app that pops up a subtle window when a mail message comes in. It displays the from to subject info, but also displays the body of the message and instantly allows you to trash file, respond to or archive the email with one click. And that is pretty cool. And it looks like there is a uh, it's free. So uh, so we'll certainly put that in the show notes for you. And with that, John, I think uh, I think we're getting pretty much to the end of uh, of the show here. Sound of being abandoned. Oh, I yeah, I'm, actually, I don't think I, uh, I I stopped thinking a long time ago. It's, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it started to hurt. But here's the band. And uh, so if you, had you to want, thaw out. if you wanted to contact us, uh, the first thing I'd recommend is go get the Mac Geek Gab app because it's it, it tags everything in a great way for us. It really helps us uh, collect everything it, and it makes your submission much easier to process and reply to and know what's going on. So uh, the Mac Geek Gab app in the Mac store is, uh, is certainly my preferred way of having you contact us. But if you don't have access to the app, there's other ways too. It's like if you're on your Mac and you want to email us. John, how would they email us from their Mac? Well, first you need to set up your email program, and that involves all sorts. Uh, I'll cut to the chase. Please do. We assume if you're listening to this, you have operational email. And if you do, and you have a question, you would send it to feedback at MacGeekGap.com. That's feedback at MacGeekGap.com. This time I agree with you, Dave, except you missed one part. It's feedback at MacGeekGap.com. That's right. Uh, premium at MacGeekGap.com is the address to use if you are a premium member. Uh, we are very close on on having the new premium backend engine uh, rolled out, and we will send out a note. I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be Tuesday, but uh, hopefully you can hold me to that. Uh, you can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which John is 433 plus 5. That's right. You can see the show notes that John prepares here at MacGeekGab.com, the all-new MacGeekGab.com, which is, of course, part of the new Mac Observer design. It's got a great uh, little podcast player right there. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Very nice. Very nice. You can find us on Twitter. The show is MacGeekGab, of course. He is John F. Braun. I'm Dave Hamilton. The guy that uh, I would love to have sitting to my right but has been notably absent is Pilot Pete. And, of course, TMO uh, pushes all the headlines out to Mac Observer. Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. 
We didn't, oh, I didn't yeah. publish the, uh, the the live show there tonight. It's been a crazy week. I, my apologies. I, I've barely been home. In fact, I'm hoping to go and, and even maybe spend some time with my wife while I finish watching the Patriots game, which is on TiVo still. So those of you in the this chat is, room, don't tell me what happened. This is crazy. It's crazy. And then, Call of course, speaking maybe. of the chat room, MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Typically 9 p.m.s on 9 p.m.s on Sunday night. 9 p.m. on Sunday nights. <laughs> That's what you think. That's yeah. It's easy for you to say. I have work travel coming up. Where are you, where are you? You're going to Bridgeport. <laughs> I'm either being <laughs> rewarded or punished. <laughs> All I know is I'm being sent to a place in New Jersey I've never been to, and that 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 quite honestly frightens me. Did you watch The Sopranos, my friend? <laughs> Just make sure you're nice to everybody. Woke up, the, woke up this morning. That's right. <laughs> uh, you and I, you and I started watching that yeah. when you and I were were up at um at my dad's condo was, in Vermont. You're a da- yeah, yeah. And we watched the first episode, and we got hooked. We got hooked, and I think you watched the last one, right? Oh, I watched it all the way through. Yeah. Don't, I did. S- don't stop believing. Don't. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that spoils anything, really. No. I don't to me, it was does. like, what? what? Yeah. Is that the ending? Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, sorry. It was the ending sorry. of that, but it's also the ending of this. We want to thank Michael Johnston, of course, from the We Have Communicators podcast. He also converts this to AAC. He also did all of the uh, the great graphical work and and navigation work on the Mac Geek app. We want to thank Corey and Tom from Bit Suites, of course course for all their work on the app they're, they're it's humbling how uh, how how much time and love and effort they put in so thank you guys of course cashfly been a partner for a very long time cashfly.com providing all the bandwidth for us we love those guys over there too and wouldn't be doing this without our sponsors as well bb edit from barebone software text expander from smile and of course gazelle now's a perfect time to use gazelle to uh, sell off your old ios devices and of course we all of those people help but none of it would be possible without all of you so thank you so much for uh, for everything you do i hope you enjoy the app let us know what you think of it have a great week and uh and don't get caught and like the app this show was yeah. Made up.